Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Christ Church. We are a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I want to say welcome whether you're joining us here in West, joining us in East, joining us online. You're all part of Christ Church this morning, and we're so thankful that you chose to join us here in worship this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. I'm also the youth director here at Christ Church. I hope to get to know you better uh, sometime. Today, we are finishing up our message series on Malachi. Last week, we started it. This week, we're finishing it. So just two parts. Next week, we're starting a brand new sermon series, You in Five Years. I hope you join us for that. Great invite opportunity to invite people back for that as well. But Malachi, we're talking this week about the second part of it, which is all about hope. The hope we have, and specifically the hope we have in Jesus. But before we get there, we're going to do a quick recap of what we talked about last week. If you were here with us last week, this will be a great recap. If you weren't, that's okay. We'll catch you up so that you know what you need to know before we dive into the rest of Malachi. Malachi begins, the pronouncement of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, fun fact about Malachi, his name literally means messenger. So just in his name, we know exactly what his job is. His job is to be a messenger or to be a prophet, a spokesperson from God to God's people. Sometimes prophets would speak to God's people, sometimes they'd speak to other people, but whatever they were doing, they were bringing a message of God. They also sometimes speak about what's happening in their context, the here and now, right? And that's a lot of what we talked about last week in Malachi was the context of Malachi and why God is saying what he's saying. This week we're going to look at the more forward-looking aspects of Malachi, although context will still be important. After all, prophets need to be read in context. A lot of the more narrative sections of Scripture, the story-based portions of the Bible, it's kind of okay to just jump in and read it, and you'll have a pretty good understanding of what's happening. But if you're doing that with a prophet, for the most part, you're kind of going to have no idea what's going on. So understanding the context, what's happening in and around the story— helps us understand what God is saying, and more importantly, why he's saying it. When we understand that, it can help us draw out the things we need to draw out of the scripture uh, to help have an impact on our lives as well. So what is the context of Malachi? Well, Malachi is book 39 out of 39 in the Old Testament, meaning it is the last book of the Old Testament. And it is the last not only because it's the last book that takes place chronologically, but it was intentionally chosen to be the last book of the Old Testament because of how it leads into the story of Christmas, right? The New Testament starts with the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth. And Malachi is the thing that leads into that because Malachi himself prophesies about Jesus' birth. But to understand the, where we came from with the Old Testament, it's best to understand what happened in the Old Testament. If you were with us last week, I'm sure you remember our 10-minute summary of the entirety of the Old Testament, kind of the spark notes, the cliff notes of the Old Testament. If you weren't with us, you can watch it online back in our sermon archives. You can see all the sermons we've done over the last number of years there as well. Love for you to do that. But I'll give you the super quick version so we can catch up here. This is the spark notes of the spark notes, if you will. Basically, God's people would turn away from God and God would bring them back. And they would turn away from God and God would bring them back. And they would turn away from God and God would bring them back over and over and over again for literally hundreds of times. And when we get to Malachi, that's where we're at. God's people has brought them back and literally brought them back into the promised land. And yet they have turned away from him, right? And so they now, God and his people, have disputes with one another. And the first section of Malachi is all about these disputes. What were the disputes? Well, God is disputing Israel because of their unfaithfulness. They are being unfaithful to God. 
They're being unfaithful to God because they are worshiping other gods. Idolatry. One of the worst things you can do, right? Worship another God and be a Jewish person to worship another God, and that's what they were doing, and God is disputing them for that. God is disputing them because of their unfaithfulness in their marriages, too. Right? They're being unfaithful to their spouses. They're being unfaithful in their generosity. Right? They're called to give 10%, a tenth of their income, to the temple, and yet they're not doing that at all. And they're called to be generous in how they offer sacrifices, right? They've been commanded to offer these specific kinds of sacrifices, and they do it in specific ways, and yet they're not doing it exactly as they're supposed to. And and in fact, they're doing it less sacrificially than they ought to be, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. But at the end of this section, all about disputes and all about God's people turning away from him, God still brings a message of hope. That message is a call to return back to God. He says, return to me and I will return to you. And so he calls his people back to him. Time and time again, you've turned away from me, but time and time again, I've brought you back and I invite you back this time as well. That charge, that, that opportunity isn't just for God's people back then. It's for God's people now. It is for you too. So no matter how many times you've turned away from God, no matter how far from God you may feel, God is calling you back to him, to return to him. And so that's where we pick up this section of Malachi, the second half or so, if you will, of Malachi, after all of these disputes, after God calling his people to return to him. But the Israelites still have another dispute with God, Right? They still have some questions for God. And the question they have, the dispute they have with God, is probably a dispute you've had with God at some point. I know I have. And the dispute is this. God, why does it seem that people that do the right thing, bad things happen to them? And why the people that do the wrong thing, why do they have good things happen to them? Right? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Isn't that wrong? How does that make sense? God, Persia, this enemy nation, right there, we're in our promised land, but they're in control of our promised land. How does that make sense? They're not following you. They're not being faithful to you. Why are they in control? God responds to them with a story, a quick little parable. Now, a parable is a tool Jesus often used, but God himself used too, that puts things into a context people will understand to help communicate a message or a point. And we have parables outside of just the Bible. There's plenty of them in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard some parables of Jesus. We have parables in our own lives. For example, the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? The story that reminds us that slow and steady wins the race. Like slow and steady progress is often better than quick bursts here and there. But Jesus spoke in parables too. One parable, the parable of the lost sheep, It's a great parable. It's a story of a shepherd who loses one of his sheep, and so he leaves the other 99 behind to go and chase after the one. It's a story that reminds us of God's amazing and powerful and sometimes even reckless love that he has for us. There's There's other parables of Jesus, too, that you may have heard of. Maybe the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? That's even a cultural term, this idea of a Good Samaritan. But That parable shows us how we can love our neighbors and love people that might not even always feel like our neighbors, but how we ought and are called to go above and beyond in love. 
Right? So God responds with a parable to the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? He responds by saying this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. Those who feared the Lord. Now, this is a concept that for many, many years I didn't understand. I didn't get it. Right? What, what, is, what does fear the Lord mean? Why is that presented as a positive thing? Are we really supposed to be afraid of God? Right? If God is this all-loving being, why are we supposed to be afraid of him? Because the Bible makes it very clear that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Right? And, and it just seems weird to me. So for years, I would ask people, I would ask Christians, people who would know and have good answers. And they'd give me good answers, but it didn't always help me to connect with the idea, right? They'd tell me things like, well, fear of the Lord is, is this idea that, that, you know, we're not supposed to be afraid of God necessarily, but we're supposed to have this holy respect for God, this holy reverence for God. And it helped, but I didn't fully grasp it until I heard a speaker talk about the fear of the Lord. And what he compared it to was the fear that we have for our parents, right? If, as we're children, the fear we have of our parents. God chose to give himself the name Father to us, right? God is our Father, and that helps us understand who he is. But remember, he's a good father, and so we're not talking about bad fathers or bad parents or abusive parents or anything like that. But if there's a good parent, if you are a good parent, right, you love your children. But loving your children doesn't always mean yes. doesn't always mean saying yes and giving your children everything they want and letting them do whatever they want. No, because then they might get hurt or might do some bad things or not grow into the people that you know they're capable of being. Right? The love of a parent often requires discipline. It requires consequences. It requires saying no might require putting a young child on timeout or taking a phone away from an older child, right? The love of parents is the love God has for us. And so when you're a child, you ought to have a healthy respect and reverence, but fear of your parents too. Not that they're going to harm you, not that they're going to do bad things to you, but that if you walk off track they will discipline you and correct you and help move you back on track. And hopefully that fear will keep you moving in the right direction. So that's what the fear of the Lord is. And the people who did this, the people who were then walking the right track, who were following God's commands, they spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said. Now this phrase isn't unique to this verse. It's all over the Bible. But it strikes me every time, that God cares what we say, right? This all-knowing, all-powerful God, the fancy theological words for those is omniscient and omnipotent. This God that has the power and the capability to do whatever he wants, cares what we do, cares what we say, cares what we pray about, right? What you do, what you pray matters to God, and he'll act according to that. That's not to say you're going to pray something and, and rub the lamp and the genie God will come out and grant you your three wishes. Of course not. But that is to say if you pray for something, God actually cares. And of course, it's going to have to be in line with his will and his plans. 
And he's not going to give you everything you want all the time, even if you think it's perfect and you think it's the good idea. But he does care what you say. He does care what you pray about. He does care how you act. But the story continues. In his presence, God's presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. The scroll of remembrance is an idea that obviously God didn't need. Right? God didn't need a scroll of remembrance to remember who was following his commands. God's all-knowing after all. He knows these things. But it's an idea that was prevalent in these times. The civilizations at these times would have these scrolls of remembrance to remind the king or the queen who had been following their commands, who had been done things in service to them so that later they could be rewarded. This even shows up in the book of Esther, specifically about the king of Persia keeping one of these books. And since Persia's in charge at this time, it would be very relevant to the people hearing this in Malachi. Right? And so the scroll of remembrance is written so that the people who feared the Lord would be remembered by God. And God would later reward them. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. What Malachi reminds us of here is that obedience is remembered. Yes, sometimes it feels like people aren't doing the right things and are rewarded. Or people are doing the right things and aren't rewarded. And there's sin and there's brokenness. And because of that, the world doesn't always make sense. But yet in the long run, at the end of the day, obedience to God will be remembered. So keep doing the right thing. It will be remembered. It will be rewarded. On the flip side, though, the Lord of Heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed roots, branches, and all. I wouldn't say this is the most uplifting verse I've ever read. Obviously not. But remember, context is important. So the context of this verse is God responding to the complaint. Why do good things happen to bad people? And how God responds is that their disobedience will be remembered too. Right? Put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite who's wondering why Persia, this enemy nation who isn't following God's commands, feels like they're better off than God's own chosen, holy, set-apart people. How can that be? And God reminds them that their disobedience will be remembered alongside your obedience. But he sandwiches this call to avoid disobedience with another call to obedience. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. What is the Son of Righteousness, or rather, who is the Son of Righteousness? Well, the Son of Righteousness is Jesus. Now, if you're thinking he's the Son of Righteousness because Jesus is the Son, as in S-O-N, that's not right, but it is still Jesus. Son, after all, in English, sounds just like this son, but the son and the son Jesus in Hebrew, which is the original language, not even close to the same word. But the son of righteousness provides healing, provides hope, reminds us that the obedience will be 
remembered. This image is important because the, what the Son of Righteousness does what the, is what the Son itself does. Right? The Son is something that does a few things. It brings life. It brings life to the world. Right? Without the Son, none of us would be here. And that's who Jesus is. He's someone who brings life into this world. The Son also brings light into the world. And light does a few things. The light gives hope. If you're traveling in darkness and you see a light ahead, it gives you hope. Light also illuminates. It makes clear obedience and disobedience as well. And so that is who Jesus is. And we know this is talking about Jesus because of what comes later in the chapter, which we'll get to in a minute. But you will go free. Jesus sets us free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. The book closes with two more verses. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. We'll come back to Elijah. But what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is this concept that shows up all throughout Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament. And what the day of the Lord is, is the day when God intervenes and enters into the world and often enters in in judgment. Hence, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But it's not just one specific day. No, that the day of the Lord can be fulfilled multiple times and in fact has been fulfilled multiple times and yet there's still more fulfillment to come. But there's been the day of the Lord, this day of God intervening in the world in judgment through the flood, through Noah. It's happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. It happened when Assyria obliterated and wiped out the northern kingdom. It happened when Babylon came in and sent the, the kingdom of Judah into exile too. But it also happens when Jesus enters into the world. When God himself intervenes in the world by coming into the world. But before that happens, this prophet Elijah will come, and his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. What God is saying here is that Elijah will come before the Lord himself comes. Before Jesus shows up, Elijah will come. So who is Elijah? Who is this Elijah guy? Elijah, like Malachi, was a prophet. He existed about 400 years before Malachi, so a few centuries. But unlike so many of the Jewish prophets, his prophecy had a real impact in the world and on the lives of the Jewish people. So many prophets had the unfortunate job of preaching messages that were never really listened to. Right, stop doing this, and yet the Israelites kept doing this. But Elijah is one of the people chiefly responsible for removing Baal worship, this worship of an idol, from Israel. There's a famous story about him by himself going up against 400 prophets of Baal, but Elijah wins because Elijah has the real God on his side. But how is Elijah going to come back before the Lord himself comes? If Elijah was there 400 years before Malachi, shouldn't he be dead? Well, not exactly, because Elijah never really died. Instead, the Bible tells us that as he and another prophet, Elisha, were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. 
Now, this is a wild story, right? Elijah, this prophet, being taken by God into heaven on a chariot of fire in a whirlwind. That's crazy, obviously. But what it shows us is that Elijah can come back. And Elijah did come back before Jesus came, before the Lord entered into the world. But his disciples didn't understand that, or they were confused by that, because Elijah didn't come in exactly the same form. So they asked Jesus, shouldn't Elijah have come already? And Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready, but I tell you, Elijah, in fact, has already come. But he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Elijah himself has already come. And when he came, yes, he did bring righteousness. Yes, he did turn people back to God. But he was also abused for it. And he was also killed for it. And so too, the Son of Man will be killed for it as well. The Son of Man being Jesus. And after he says this, the disciples realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. Elijah returned in the form of John the Baptist, who preached in the wilderness, preached this message of the Lord himself coming. And he turned people back to God, and he once again, just like Elijah did the first time, brought righteousness back to God's people. And thus concludes Malachi. So what's this book really about? Why, what can we draw from it? Why is it in the Bible? What can we get out of it? Well, Malachi is about God offering hope to a disobedient Israel. Right? Israel has turned away from God time and time again, and once again they have turned away from God, and God has disputed them for it. And yet he still brings a message of hope, a message calling them to return to him, and he will return to them. But a message of hope about what is to come to. But this time, the Lord himself will come. And he will come on Christmas, and he will come in the form of Jesus. Right? Malachi offers hope to a disobedient Israel. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that hope. Because when Jesus enters into the world, God himself enters in. But Jesus doesn't just fulfill that hope for the Jewish people. No, he came and fulfilled that hope for all people. For the Jewish people, for the Gentiles, which means he came to fulfill it for you and for me too. You see, when we sin in our brokenness, because of that, because of our human nature, we are eternally separated from God. God is this perfect being, this holy, this righteous, this set-apart being that can't have anything to do with sin, can't have anything to do with brokenness. And so because of that, we are eternally separated from God, and on our own power, we cannot come back to God. But because of Jesus, Jesus bridges that gap for us because he himself is perfect. And he died. He offered that sacrifice and took on the punishment for our sins and our brokenness and our evil so that we don't have to. But he didn't just put the sin and the brokenness to death. No, he conquered over them too by rising again in his resurrection. So because of this, we no longer are bound by our sin. We, by the Son of Righteousness, have been set free. And so we are no longer bound by sin and shame and guilt and brokenness. 
we instead can present ourselves holy and righteous to God. Because of Jesus, we can present ourselves to God. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of Malachi. That's the hope of Jesus. And so then the charge of the book is to live in that hope, to live differently because of that hope. What does it mean to live differently? Well, it's to live with a recognition that we do have this hope, that God, Jesus, entered into the world for all people and for you, that he died and took on the sins and the brokenness of all people and for you. And he rose again and conquered over sin and conquered over death and conquered over your sin and your death and your brokenness for you. That is the hope we get to live into. And so it doesn't matter how many times we've turned away from God and sinned and moved away from God and been broken and not followed his commands because he still offers the hope to return to him and he offers the way back to him through Jesus. So church, live in that hope. Return to God. Lay down your shame. Lay down your guilt. And live in hope. Live in the hope of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Jesus, we thank you for the privilege it is to study your word to hear from you through the words you spoke through your prophet Malachi. Help it to speak to us so that we can understand more of who you are and your love for us and the hope you provide for us. God, in moments where we are grieving or we are mourning, we are stuck in despair or we feel our shame or we feel our guilt, help us to be reminded the hope we have in you, Jesus. And help that hope spur us on to live differently. To be reminded that we are no longer bound by our sin and our shame and our guilt, but we have a hope that comes in you. God, for those of us who feel like we've turned away from you too many times or we are so far away from you that we can never come back, help us to be reminded that you constantly and continually and will always offer a return to you and know that when we do you will too return to us Jesus we thank you for all you're doing in our lives help us these days this week this month and this new year of 2022 to continue to be reminded of your hope we love you Jesus I pray these things in your holy name amen